The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I am Molly Balin. And I am Eric Deutsch. And I am very, very happy to welcome back two of my, some of my most favorite podcasters, and that's John and Niall of Bat Minute 89. Uh, Stop! You're embarrassing me! (laughs) No! I'll I'll take it, but aww. (laughs) It is 110% true. I'm very happy that you guys have agreed to come and chat with us on the podcast. And if anyone hasn't heard Bat Minute, uh, sounds like you guys are about rounding the the last turn for Batman Returns. But if you haven't checked it out, you guys should really, really check them out. It is endlessly entertaining. So get you some John and Niall in your ear holes. Oh, thanks very much. (laughs) I don't know if I'd advise that, but uh, yes, do check the show out. And Molly, you were recently on their show, were you not? I was, yes. And it was delightful. Yeah, that's why we were getting in uh, the final moments of Catwoman. Yes. Uh, Molly was on for, got to see some uh, nice uh, char-grilled Christopher Walken corpse at the end of the week. Oh, then, yeah, when Catwoman's doing her little uh, counting to nine, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Good hair day. It confused me because <laughs> as a kid, I never realized they were trying to make a big deal out of the nine lives thing. And now watching it minute by minute, I'm like, hold on. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Well, our, our producer who was not allowed to speak, Brad and I, back when we were co-hosts on Flash Gordon Minute, we uh, jumped in right at the end of uh, the previous Batman movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And we had the last full minute of the movie before the credits And so we had a minute with no actual Batman or Michael Keaton in it. (laughs) (laughs) It was uh, Vicky Vale walking to a car and then Alfred saying, oh, Mr. Wayne's going to be late today. And and that was was the minute. Luckily, we're so ridiculously off the rails, though. You you can talk about whatever the hell you like. Uh, That's pretty much what we did, yeah. I mean, you've got an Alfred minute. I mean, those are some of the most vied for minutes of the Alfred minutes. (laughs) Well, y'all, welcome to Minute 38, and uh, Snake tells how, okay, President is dead, and Snake's basically ready to have his uh, wee artery bombs removed, and Hawk's basically like, tut, tut, you've got more time. You gotta go figure this out, and if you try and leave, I'll kill you. So, that is the the whole gist of Minute 38, and we start out with uh, Snake in a little bit of a, a non-negotiation. I don't know if he's like a hell of a negotiator here, but um, I will say my two senses. I think that Hauk was, you know, hardballing him, and that's kind of like him being like evil government man. But at the same time, just for like a thorough sense of doing a decent job, and maybe this is puritanical work ethic here, he, he doesn't know that the president's dead. And so he's kind yeah. of calling it... A little early. He's kind of doing a sloppy job, which I understand he's under duress and, you know, he just kind of wants to get the hell out. But I'm like, eh, you know, you got to you got to do due diligence. So, yeah, yeah, it's a bit of an assumption to make, isn't it, that he's dead? I don't know why he's making that assumption. There's not really any evidence. No, I would just be more daunted by that because this is the one lead you had was like, oh, this thing on his wrist. And now he like he could be anywhere in New York City. 
it's just like, hey, he might as well be dead. Like, I, like <laughs> you want me to go, within 18 hours, I have to find him on foot? You crazy? Like, no, I don't even know where the hell he might be. No, he's dead. Let's just cut cut our losses See, and get that, out of here. That's a fair point. He should have just said that. Like, look, how do you expect me to find this guy in the whole of New York? Yeah. It's just like it's just where where do you where do you even start? Like it's just right. again we'll see it in the next minute. This snake just has a seat. Just like I guess I'll just wait for the adventure to come to me. Basically, <laughs> yeah. The, the the draft script has a line that's exactly this. He'd see in this. I don't know why they didn't film this line because it's it fits Snake's personality and it fits exactly what you're all saying. He says it's like looking for a turd in a sewer. I'll never find it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I'm totally going to take that. <laughs> the John Carpenter just wanted because he was like, maybe in the previous minute, he's like, that yellow liquid, that's too easily interpreted <laughs> as pee. Now I don't want turd jokes in my, in my movie either. Like, I'm getting all that out of here. Yeah, it would have been infamous for its toilet humor, this movie, otherwise. <laughs> well, it's interesting that the three of you all feel like Snake's like, oh, that's it, he's dead, and, and you know, that there's no evidence of it. Where so In me watching this minute, I felt like why do the people back in the command center, why would they think the president is still alive? I mean, his wristband's been removed. His jacket's been taken away. He's not where they think he is. You know, oh. I understand that if, you know, if the prisoners kill him, they basically lose their bargaining ship. But at the same time, you know, Hauk's pulling this. You get in that glider, I'll shoot you down. You try to climb off, I'll burn down the wall. He's being that hard ass he was again with Snake earlier in the movie. But they're not... They're not giving him any leads, though. I mean, they're not doing anything to help him out. It's just, you know, mm. Snake, you better damn well find the president or fuck you. But, <laughs> oh, uh, we're not actually going to do anything to help you find him. No, uh, they don't actually. Do they have any means to help him? Because they don't seem to be trying to in any way whatsoever. Mm. They're just shouting at him, basically. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. I guess maybe to them, they're just like, what, what is Snake Plissken to them? They're just like, hey, we already sent you in there. Like, we don't care if you die. Like, so just like you go and friggin' you got 18 hours. Just keep looking for him. And if you don't find him, then you don't find him. But like, we're not getting you out early because we don't care about you. Basically. Yeah. I get the impression that, you know, even <clears throat> I'm, I'm not going to spoil the movie in case you're watching one minute at a time, <laughs> but let's say he succeeds. I get the impression, you know, he succeeds maybe a week, two weeks later that the government are probably going to kill snake anyway. <laughs> One thing I will say as well, and maybe you guys have brought it up already, but like just the name of the character, Hawk, it, it, it kind of slightly irks me. Cause it's like, just call him Hawk. Like it's, <laughs> it's so close. So you know what they're going for? It's like, it's snake Pliskin and then he's Hawk. And like the Hawk is the natural predator of the snake and stuff. And yeah, it's like, yeah. just call him Hawk. You cowards. Come on. Like, <laughs> Do it. It's true because, like, so the, all the main characters in this movie, none of them have. I mean, there's a cabbie, there's a duke, there's a, a brain. Like, almost nobody has a normal name. So, mm. right here's a guy. It's like, well, we we can't go too far. Don't make him Hawk. Make him Hawk. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a, he constantly has to refer to him as Pliskin as well. Like, right. as if that was the, would dilute it even more as well. But like, I think I was saying in the group during the week, like, they should really try to get a supercut. Of every time Lee Van Cleef says Pliskin in this movie, because it's just like <laughs> relentless. There's a minute coming up where it's just, it might be the entire minute, it's him just going, Pliskin, 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 Pliskin. <laughs> Plus, though, like he does do that as part of his character as well, though, because it kind of irks Snake. Mm. He doesn't, you know, he, 
he wants to be called a certain thing. He's not going to use that name. It's kind of his way of sort of just digging at him a little bit. The thing is, there was a guy in my secondary school who wanted to be called Snake. Oh, no. He tried to make that his nickname. And you better believe that did not become his nickname. (laughs) (laughs) You can't choose your own nickname. I'm sorry. But I mean, you can't. You can't have Snake be your nickname in a non-fictional setting either. <laughs> yeah, no. No. The, the only person called Snake who it works on is Snake Plissken because he's cool <laughs> enough to pull it off. It's even ridiculous in like uh, in Twin Peaks. You have like you know Bobby yeah. Briggs is the main character and his buddy Mike. He refers to him as Snake sometimes, and every time you hear it, it's like Snake. What the hell are you calling this doofus Snake for? Like what the. Because he's an annoying high school kid. What do you expect? He's going to come up with that sort of stupid name for himself. Yeah, but but it's even it's just very very jarring because it's like, oh my god, that's such a terrible nickname for people. When you outside of a Snake Plissken like setting, it never comes off as cool. (laughs) It just doesn't work on anybody except this guy. And if you have a nickname over here, other people have given you it, and it's usually offensive. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's not usually a good thing. You know, you might take it on affectionately after time, but it will be most likely born out of some reason that they were taking the piss out of you. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do you like the a, idea of a, of an eight year old like wanting to be called Snake, though. <laughs> that was probably that's... me when I was eight and saw this movie. I'll be honest. <laughs> Going around with the eye patch the whole time. See, I had. Well, I, I have to a... want to be John Connor. I, I used to ride around on my bike, blasting Guns and Roses out of a boombox. <laughs> I knew a kid like that. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> we must have met. Hey, it was the it was the nineties. That was just the, the that was the, the thing to was, do. Was, yeah, yeah with my flannel shirt tied around my waist. Yeah. I have to say though, when I because I I have a uh, a lazy eye. And so when I was a kid, I did have an eye patch, but they didn't give me the cool Snake Plissken eye patch. They gave me this little beige stick on one. I was like, if you're going to make a, a kid feel any better, at least give him a cool eye patch. I mean, this this thing just made me look like an idiot. But yeah, at least you gave me this like thing. you've been in a fight and you've had your eye gouged out if you have a cool black eye patch on. Yeah, you could be like, uh, particularly nowadays, too, with like the, the, the height of Marvel. You could be like, eh, it's like a Nick Fury kind of thing going on. But they were just made like, no, it just looks like you're wearing a stupid eye patch for no damn reason. It's like, uh, well, there's a reason, but it's still a stupid eye patch. Well, you know, the, the, the talk about um, how can Snake and, and they're back and forth and how you know, Snake's our protagonist, but he's kind of a, a dick in certain ways. And how is it, 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 we talked about this, uh, I think, a few weeks ago that, you know, how's a main character and ultimately his goals are good. He's trying to save the president, but he's just such an asshole about it. He's definitely at a, a very least a foil to Snake. And it makes me think of um, a quote that Carpenter said about this movie that there are no good guys in this movie. And yet it's totally entertaining. Yeah. And he's right. They're really I mean, you know, it's all prisoners or prison administration and the prison administrators are all underhanded assholes so there really aren't any quote-unquote good guys but still we all are talking about it because we love this movie and the, you know the movie's got this long cult following yeah yeah that's the one thing like you could argue that though for like um like the thing as well because <laughs> like as we said before that might have been like straight before this was it maybe the thing or uh, straight after, after right, yeah. i think it was right after this yeah yeah, because I guess they're they're all kind of assholes in the thing as well. They're not like vindictive people, but they're all kind of dicks. And then it's just like 
yeah, I guess you're just kind of rooting for somebody to survive this thing because you're just kind of stuck looking at these people. So I was like, I guess I like Kurt Russell because he's <laughs> Kurt Russell. <laughs> I was reading online that somebody likened him to Lancelot because of his hair, that he had this kind of like Prince Charming thing about him. And I was what? like, yeah, I was like, that's an interesting image to overlay on him but you know when i thought about it i was like oh that would never have been something that would come up with but i can see in that in that classic sort of movie trope sense that i just thought it was some 70s shit but like i can see how you maybe thought that that's adding a more i don't know softer quality to him or you know less because i mean kurt russell is not like a rough looking dude you know i mean he has got these additional accoutrements, but he's like a really, I think, classically handsome, kind of like a cute dude with a slightly, you know, like a shag haircut here. So I can see, like, for one, the eye patch kind of roughening him up a little bit. But at the same time, because he does have that kind of shag haircut, like, little bit pretty boy kind of thing, that it lends himself to being, looking a little more heroic, a roughed up, and that's why he's the anti-hero, but that we still have this sense of that he looks good enough to be a hero because we're uh, used to that, that tone. That's a good yeah. point. I had not considered that because in my mind, maybe it's just because of the characters. I just assumed, Oh yeah, he's like a, he's like a rough and tumble kind of guy. But now that you mention it, yeah, maybe there's, there's enough there saying otherwise to make you just buy him as the hero, no matter what. Mm. <laughs> it's just, I love the idea though. Cause once, once you say, Lancelot, my mind immediately goes to Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would just love a scene of like that bit when John Cleese's Lancelot is going to raid the castle <laughs> and oh. they, like, the guards keep seeing him coming. But he, like, every time it cuts back, he's like the same distance away. <laughs> and just like like the Duke of New York just sitting looking like, is that Snake Plissken coming? <laughs> just like, <laughs> Kurt Russell just booting towards him. But I keep cutting back to Isaac Hayes and then back to Kurt Russell not getting any closer. Wow, that was wow. serious. Give that a second. <laughs> out of here. <laughs> I, I know he's not in our minutes, but I just want to say how much I love Isaac Hayes in this film. Mm-hmm. I know he uh, turned into a problematic figure towards the end, but uh, in this movie, he, oh, he's so cool. <laughs> Everything about him. I want to put chandeliers on our car. <laughs> oh, my God. Actually, that reminds me of something I want to ask you guys. Okay, so... You two gentlemen are now Dukes of Manhattan Island Prison. What kind of uh, yes. Dukes are you going to be, and what kind of vehicles are you going to drive, or are you just going to walk everywhere? Well, I can't drive, so that doesn't help. But then again, in this in this world, in this future, does it matter? Do you need to know how to drive? No, just get in the car and go. Mm. Who cares? <laughs> You're in a and prison. Since it's Who in, cares? And since it's in America... You guys all have like automatic cars. We don't really have those. See, no, sir. Could... No, no. I drive a stick, friend. Stick ah, all see, the way. Stick for life. <laughs> I could maybe figure out the automatic. I don't know. One pedal goes, one stops. That's all I need to know. <laughs> yeah, but we're also, you know, we got we're on the left side of the car, though. You got to. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's throw see, It man. confuses me when I play Grand Theft Auto because I accidentally <laughs> kill pedestrians. I'm not trying to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to drive sensible. Do they not have? They don't have a like a British version to put oh, you on the did. other side. No, they did do one in um, the nineties. They did. Uh, it was a sequel to the original GTA, uh, the top-down two D kind of one, and they did GTA London. Mm. Uh, but that's it. They've only done it the once. Yeah, yeah. 
Wow, gonna... that really surprises me that they don't have that capacity because it's it's an international purchase. So like, why have? Yeah, and it's a British company. You make it. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's rude as shit, man. I had no idea. I'm really offended. I remember, though, when, that, when the GTA Britain or whatever it was, like English GTA, whatever the, the official name it was. Because I think it was around the time when, like, Austin Powers was big. So yeah, I always yeah. felt it was trying to kind of piggyback. On oh, that. it was. It was in the 60s. There was mopeds yeah. and stuff. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't even have, like, you know, the Union Jack cover. It just looked like an Austin Power poster, basically, at some <laughs> points. It's like, so maybe they're just like, oh, Austin Powers is dead. Brit- British GTA games are also dead. So this is like... <laughs> they're waiting for that new Austin Powers to come out so they can just uh, knock up another one. Yeah, because I've had it like in the vault for years. So it's like, no, we gotta wait for Mike Myers to get inspired again. <laughs> well, apparently he is coming out with a new one. So there you go. Yeah, wow! Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's baffling because uh, he he hasn't done anything of his own that's been good for a long time. But he keeps popping mm. up in random little parts lately, doesn't he? Like mm. odd little characters for five minutes. Yeah, I oh, had the the Bohemian Rhapsody cameo. Where it was just really right. like, oh, like right. I see the joke you're making, guys, and then right. they just kept pushing it. This <laughs> was like, stop pushing the. J- I got, I got the joke. You don't have to have him say these lines. Like, oh no, he's saying the lines. All right, we're pushing this joke even further. Like, you, no one's gonna sit in that car. Ed banging the Bahamian Rhapsody. He's like, I get it. I, get it. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, though, I liked that. <laughs> as stupid as the joke is, I loved it. So this this minute is uh, more than half of the more than the, more than thirty seconds. This minute is just Snake going back and randomly roaming the streets and we do get though our next song on the soundtrack here this is called back to the pod version two and on the soundtrack it's actually combined as one track with another song we'll hear another couple of minutes well you, you guys have any thoughts on uh, john carpenter's music that he does in his movies oh my god i'll, I'll go first right because i know niall you've seen him you've seen him live haven't you yeah so oh. you'll, you'll have more to say than me okay. yeah but I just want to say I, I love the music in like all of his movies. It's always fantastic. And I, I really appreciate how it's quite evidently basically just a dude sat at a keyboard. Right. <laughs> like, and I, I really like that because he's so hands-on with it. Like it, it feels very personal to him. And I, I really connect with it. Uh, yeah, yeah. As, as John said, like I did, I saw him live a couple of years ago, um, the day before Halloween, which was quite irritating because, like, oh, it's so close. <laughs> but uh, yeah, absolutely love his soundtrack. Just I love, uh, I love a bit of ominous synth. So that's always <laughs> John Carpenter to a T. But uh, yeah, I have to say that was um, one. Of, like most of his scores, uh, one I all I didn't like for the longest time was actually the theme tune to this because I always thought hmm. that it was. The one that's portrayed in the movie is quite low key, so I always thought it was a bit sort of it didn't have enough oomph because it has this you know like it just sort of there was no va va voom to me, uh, whereas like you know the music to Assault on Precinct Thirteen has a lot of va va voom to it and stuff. But the thing is, uh, this was his opening his opening gamut when I saw him, and. Um, like he came out, you know, the obviously bare stage and had like screens behind him and stuff. And uh, there's nothing on them at that point. And then eventually John Carpenter comes out and he's kicking into the, you know, the the, the, the main theme to this. And it's all the screens are still blank and stuff. And then it's just, you know, and then the whole band kicked in and then it just jumped the screens and like burst into life with that digital outline of New York. Mm. and then just like shots of snake getting led about by the security and stuff and then with the whole band behind it 
it was great. It was just like mm. really, really like a raging version of the theme tune. And at the end of it, of course, and I think it was a son was like stand up on like the, the footlight at the front of the stage doing like a real wow, turn a beautiful. It's beautiful. And then after that, like that, because at Christmas, I usually make a set of Christmas cards, I always make CDs for people just to send them out. It's like, this is what I've been listening to this year. So I had like live versions of the Escape from New York theme leading the, 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 the charge in that CD that year. And uh, oh, it was amazing, amazing gig. Uh, only downside to that gig was that I don't think he sussed out that like you need to play the the the, the you know the layer out things where like you open with one that people know, you do the stuff that people wouldn't know in the middle, and then you end big because I think like his his encore was the theme music to Christine and it's like no one <laughs> knows the theme music. <laughs> no, it could I'm be like, amazing for all I know, but I wouldn't recognize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you you think you'd be like no, you end on like friggin like Halloween or something like right. the, something people are going like, Oh, here it is finally. But like Halloween was like song four or something. No, like, was... you don't do that with Halloween. What the hell? Yeah. Maybe to him, maybe he doesn't like that. It's like, ah, oh, just get that one out of the way. <laughs> yeah, I just think you just play to the crowd. But the, the, a lot of it too was like, you got the vibe that because they were showing clips on the screen, that people were just really going crazy for the clips as well. <laughs> because, <laughs> like he's playing the, the, you know, the music to big trouble in little China. And like it's not the greatest theme tune in the world, but the audience was going crazy, and it was more just like looking at scenes from that film. You're just like, that was a really good film. Like I really love Big Trouble in Little China. What oh, a yeah. great movie! <laughs> just, they're just showing you random, like oh, there's random crazy monsters in that. And, like these guys that like, they control lightning and stuff. It's like a freaking bonkers movie. Like this is great. But um, but yeah, I think he's I think he still tours quite frequently, John Carpenter. So if you can get out to see him, it's it's well well worth the time. I, I want to ask you guys. Uh, I want to tie in your your show here uh thinking about your movie movies by minute movie series versions of these characters since there's, there's a lot of criminals in your guys movies mm-hmm. uh, how how if, if jack if jack nicholson's joker ended up in manhattan prison how, how do you think he'd do what do you think would happen oh he, he'd be running the town come on he'd be at <laughs> war with uh, isaac hayes i think mm. oh yeah totally jack jack nicholson as the joker Oh yeah, he'd be running the whole town. Like, there's no, I have no doubt about that. Like, somehow he'd get some sort of bizarre clown weaponry in there with him. Like, there's no <laughs> explanation. Come, come to think of it, right? Isn't the game Arkham City kind of like this? Basically, it is. Yeah, like, but it's, it's essentially. Yeah. it's like the yeah, it's just Batman trapped in a big citywide prison. So. Ah. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. I've never put those two things together, but yeah, that's the Batman equivalent of this movie. Yeah, okay. that's the um, yeah, because you got within that. Then there are civil wars. Like you got one side of the maps, the penguins' territory, and the other side over in the steel mill. That's all the Joker's side, and they're constantly at war with each other, constantly attacking attacking each other throughout the game and stuff. While you're just gonna caught in the crosshairs, it's like yeah. Oh my god! So go in with your current movie. What happens to Max Shrek if he ends up in New York prison? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, he might do well for a little while, but I don't, I don't think his long-term prospects would be very good. He'd screw too many people over. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah, I think he would. Uh, he would think he's well ahead of people, but then he would end up eventually. He'd mess with the wrong person, and like much like he does in Batman Returns, basically, he's just like, oh, I can throw whoever I want out a window. It turns out you couldn't throw this one lady out of window because she's. <laughs> that's a lesson to us all. Be careful who you throw out of a window. Mm. I would <laughs> love this because Max Schreck in his normal setting is so flamboyant. I would love to see him in just a free reign 
post-apocalypse New York. Like, what, what the hell would he be doing with that? <laughs> well, his hair is, is, ba- is like the same hair that Romero in this movie has. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> mm. I'm, I'm sure you've brought this up, by the way, but you just said, of course, Romero. And uh, th- I noticed in the credits of this movie that th- there's a theme with some of the bit part characters yes. being directors. <laughs> Was there any any reason for the ones he chose? Are they just his friends or are they are they people he doesn't like? <laughs> uh, the Romero one, I know he considered Romero, you know, like sort of a guy he looked up to and mm. and guy that he just felt was someone that had a great career and was one of his heroes uh the cronenberg i know that when when dr cronenberg showed up i know we went into it uh i definitely would have to go back and look at my notes to find out why he chose cronenberg i don't remember off the top of my head uh, I'll, I'll listen back it's it's been a while i think <laughs> probably now isn't it i mean no characters named after uh, the greatest film creative uh, george buck flower I think he missed a trick with that. He's playing himself. (laughs) Okay, uh, we talked about Cronenberg in minute 22, and all I see that I wrote down is that he's named after David Cronenberg. (laughs) I don't have anything about why he chose that. Uh, I'm surprised you couldn't get uh, David Cronenberg to this, because he was in that, uh, was it Jason, like Friday the 13th 10 or whatever, like Jason X. David Cronenberg randomly shows up in that. It's like, if you asked him, he could have been in this. Every time we watch that movie together, Niall, I'm drunk, so I don't remember him being in it, I'll be honest. (laughs) He's like like one of the first kills, I believe. Ah. It's every time, because I always forget myself, and I'm sitting there like, I know that guy. That's not David Cronenberg, is it? (laughs) Well, it turns out it is. Well, going back as well to video games, like the, the pacing of this, and and whatnot. I think this game, sorry, this game. I think this movie would work really well as a game. Like I don't mean there's probably some crappy old one on the Nintendo, you know. But I mean like one now. You could revisit this world as a video game. Well, that's actually a good a good shout. Like I can imagine them pitching like Rocksteady or some of those people who did like the Arkham games or like anyone mm. just like we're gonna have maybe not go back to New York or maybe people would want to go back to New York but just like yeah we've got Kurt Russell back he's doing the voice we've got in friggin you know whoever like Adrian Barbeau is back or it's like mm. so you know as many cast members as you can get Steve Buscemi in to reprise his part from Escape from LA uh just and like commands you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh I love Steve Buscemi and like I love Escape from LA but if you know me if you know my personal style and you see the way Steve Buscemi dresses in that movie You'll get why I love Steve Buscemi oh, in that movie. <laughs> but yeah, you could totally make like a like an escape from wherever. Escape from Burbank or like escape Hell from yeah. Delaware. Or <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be fantastic. I, I actually think instead of all these sequels they're doing, they should revisit more of these franchises in video game form now that video games are more cinematic. Mm. Like I don't want a new Indiana Jones movie, right? Make an Indiana Jones game. Just get Harrison Ford to come in and voice it. Fine, then. It doesn't matter. Nobody will complain that he's like a thousand years old. Although that was one of my complaints I had recently with... Um, I uh, bought the... You know, they've done a, an audiobook version of the William Gibson screenplay for Alien 3. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's got in, like, Michael Beanie and Lance Henderson. They're, they're back doing, you know, Hicks and Bishop. And Lance Henderson sounds so old now. That it's very distracting. It's like, <laughs> and because they do it, they they do like at the end of Aliens again at the very beginning to kind of get you up to date. So they're like, they got some other woman in playing Ripley, and you got Michael Bean. He's still well, he's not even at that point. His character's unconscious, but like, yeah, Lance Henderson now doing the audio parts from the old '86 Aliens, and it's like, oh, that, 
that guy has aged quite a bit. <laughs> like he, he doesn't sound right. So I guess I think Kurt Russell he sounds fine. So he could do it nowadays. But yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Think like yeah. Some people um, actually another thing. The same thing happens when they did that re-release uh, like ten years back of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly with Lee Van Cleef, uh, and they had to do they had deleted scenes worked back in, but. Uh, they had to have Eli Wallach come back in to do the redub the lines. Oh, no. So you're watching the movie, and all of a sudden, midway through, like 93 year old Eli Wallach's doing the voice. <laughs> oh. And you can, it sticks out like a sore thumb, unfortunately. Well, I will say because Ernest Borgnine had such a long career and was working literally almost all the way up to the grave. I think if he were still alive, we could definitely still have him do a video game version of this. Hell yeah. I can just get get the Ernest Borg ten into uh, <laughs> the, the, the new novel. Wow! Unless it's like the Simpsons, where they keep his head in a jar, and then he's still you know, he's still voicing things. <laughs> like, hey, I'll be in your escape from uh, escape from Campton uh, <laughs> computer game. This is like nine plot would be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tendum. I'm just thinking, trying to work out the the plot line of this game, though. It's like Snake Plissken has to go into, like, I don't know, escape from Washington, but like this time the president's dog is missing or something like that. Like, <laughs> well, like John Wick. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Shit. Oh, man. You find out then, like, twist at the end of the game is that this version, like, in this universe, John Wick also existed, and he's actually ruling the town. But because it's Keanu Reeves, he's the same age. <laughs> so like it doesn't matter which era it's set in. It's just like yeah, Keanu Reeves is John Wick is Keanu Reeves, and they're both just ageless beings. Well, Keanu like, is a vampire in real life, I think. Yeah, so it's like hey, oh, it totally works. You could be like, yeah, this is in, I guess within Escape from New York times, it would have to be like 1999. But then it's just like yeah, so I guess this is like Keanu getting prepped for the Matrix era. But it's like yeah, it totally works. All right, anybody got uh, anything else for this minute? Um, I will just add in. The disappointment walk through the garbage. Um, I I just really enjoyed the visuals of this. I and I don't know what you guys saw, but I thought it was kind of interesting that there's this green filter through his his initial walk of disappointment, and that kind of like shifts out to kind of a like a reddish brown tone. I just thought it was a nice thing. I think there's some really you know. Nice kind of audio effects here. Sounds of dripping water again. I, I've made a comment about the uh, the wet ground, and uh, we we discovered a little while back that that's that's that is a movie trick and uh, good for lighting and that kind of reflective quality. Um, something about the 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 moisture there just adds this you know additional kind of like uh, yeah you know, just nice three D effect to it. Um, so I think that they did a nice job. Mm. No, yeah, I, I that's. Do. I don't know. I was gonna say because that kind of effect. Was, like I think they did that a lot in the first Terminator movie because the same kind mm. of visuals of like, like nighttime scenes with a wet ground perpetually. It's like Jesus, it really rains there a lot. Apparently, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like England. So. Yeah, <laughs> I do like the green though that you, you mentioned because I don't think of this movie having a lot of green. I always think of it more like there's there's blues, lots of yes. blue and things. But yeah, this is very striking green like i'm watching a uh, a journey movie an amelie or something yes yes totally that's that actually the color scheme totally matches with that that's very interesting it has that that effect to it well, actually kind of as well with the with the setting it looks more like his movie city of lost children 
Yes. Also has a green filter, like every damn movie he does. <laughs> also a great movie. Oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. I love him. I'm not dissing him here. It's a friendly diss. <laughs> no, I didn't take it away. I did not take it that way at all. But yeah, you're right. He's The man is a fan of the green filter, for sure. I think that's the sole reason they chose him for Alien. For Alien Resurrection. <laughs> he likes green, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, City of Lost Children, like much like in Leon, when like you know another French director is just like, ah, oh, that Jean Reno is a bit too close to this to this young girl, and then City of Lost Children, it's the same. Like, yeah, Ron Perlman seemed to be a bit too connected to like this little thirteen-year-old girl. It's like it's a French thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is French directors. This is a, it's a, well, at least those two French directors. Are like, oh, I don't know, man. Well, you uh, <laughs> you mind your p's and q's there, buddy. You know. <laughs> I only have one other thing about this minute, which is completely inconsequential, but I'm going to say it anyway. At the start, when he's talking uh, on the walkie-talkie there, I couldn't take my eyes off the ridiculous aerial on the walkie-talkie because these days, of course, you've got your, your, your mobile phone, your cell phone. You can communicate with anyone anywhere. This is a very different time. So to communicate with these guys who aren't that far away... He has the most absurd aerial in the history of the world that takes up half the screen, and I love it. And when, and when you say aerial, uh, that is that British speak for antenna? Yes, it's the same thing. <laughs> um, look at this thing. It's, it's absurd. Yeah. It's yeah, ridiculous. It's... And I love it because it just harkens back to a different world, even though this is the future when it was made. It, 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 that puts us in a weird position looking back at it now. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. But I also kind of wonder, when you make something like this, I don't know that they ever intended it to be as timeless. I think because it has these very interesting qualities to it, it became a cult classic. And so there's this additional contextual discussion we're having, uh, which is kind of amusing to me, actually, that we're able now, because we're so far in the future now, and, and this was it wasn't even made you know, even projecting that far in the future to begin with. It's interesting to look back on it in that context of like, yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of this technology is like so anachronistic and, you know, mm. it's, it, adds, it adds an extra like fun, fun conversation point to all of this. Well, then yeah. to ruin the fun, I, I think the idea of them doing it is, you may have mentioned this kind of thing before, but, you know, this is from an era where people genuinely thought that this could happen, like the world could collapse in like a... Right insane nuclear war with the soviet union and things mm. like this people right. were genuinely scared that this kind of stuff was going to happen in the near future so in mm -hmm. a way it's kind of like a horror movie yeah good point absolutely because they do it a lot they did it with predator 2 like that was set in the very near that's in the that's set in the 90s isn't it it's not like 97 predator 2 and oh, the, 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 the yeah, world really has turned like, into warfare between drug gangs who own the streets <laughs> what was this mm. people's deal with 97 for being the 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 year of the apocalypse that was terminator <laughs> 2 as well it was like august 19th 1997 or whatever yeah, it was supposed yeah. to be that was supposed to be judgment day well there you go that's there's another like, one yeah so it's like everyone in Hollywood back then is like, oh, we all know that the bomb's going to drop drop in 97, right? <laughs> we can't keep this freaking pony show going for that long after that. That's really funny because I graduated from high school in 97. So that also has a really strange connotation for me in the oh, context the, of all this. <laughs> the bomb dropped uh, metaphorically for you. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and for me, 97 is when I graduated college and got my first job. So that, that was a oh. enormous bit of a bomb. Oh, whoa. Was the, oh, the end geez. of a world of sorts for you yes. there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was gearing up for the, the World Cup in 98. 
<laughs> I think in 97, I was like 10. So I was just like, my whole year was just like waiting for Independence Day to come out. <laughs> and then find out, like, oh, Men in Black's out this summer too. Great. That's all I need to know. <laughs> what what a year for us being youngsters then. Yeah. <laughs> Kinder, gentler times. Ours <laughs> no. Uh, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I don't have any other notes for this minute, but uh, I don't think I answered when um, Molly was saying earlier about like uh, transportation in the post-apocalypse. Uh, I think I would have to go for, uh, if I was a duke, I'd have to go for some sort of rickshaw, but it's connected to motorbikes. So <gasps> instead of a guy running about with his arms, it's like, no, it's got some like ostentatious like asshole motorbike that's just like drive me around <laughs> i was like yeah i gotta go for that i mean it probably wouldn't work i don't think logistically it would even hold together but it's what i would try to do at least all right why don't you guys uh remind everyone where they can find you and and uh what show you do etc cetera, etc cetera. well what show you do we already talked about what show you do but all right i don't know what the hell i'm talking about right now no, I'll, I'll let you take this away because it, it's usually me on our show, so I'm going to throw you in at the deep end. <laughs> uh, well, like, luckily, because I've been on enough guest spots now, I you th- actually you think it'll be better at promoting our own like my own show at this <laughs> time, but, like not particularly. You know, um, yeah, we, me and John, we do Bat Minute, uh, where we're looking at the Batman movies from 1989 up to and including 1997. Uh, we just. I think by the time this airs, we'll just be concluding Batman Returns. So you'll have two full seasons there uh, to, to dig into um, if you, you know, if you, if you should so want to. Uh, we're available on all your podcatchers and iTunes and also Spotify now, I believe. Oh, uh, yeah. And you get us through all the social medias. So if you should type in Batman into a search engine, uh, we should pop up. <laughs> We do on Google, but we have not tested it with uh, some of the uh, the old classics like Ask Jeeves, which apparently still exists. Uh, as one the, the, the other day, again, not to go into Jessica Jones, but there's a bit where someone's looking up something and they're using Bing. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Bing? <laughs> Bing? That's probably I have to use that at Bing work. forked over five grand for them to use Bing is probably <laughs> yeah. Nobody searched with Bing by choice. Come on. Like, no wonder Jessica Jones is a terrible PI. She's looking for people on Bing. <laughs> Uh, I want to give some shout-outs to some of the resources Molly and I use for our show here, both for our research and also a lot of the, the pictures that I put on our Facebook fan page. There's an awesome website, the EFNYLAPage.com, that has had a lot of great background info and a lot of great photos. There's also the namespliskin.webs.com that has a lot of good stuff. And then for more generic stuff that... if, if this movie or any other movies there's the internet movie firearms database you can find all about your favorite guns and weapons uh the internet movie cars database pretty self-explanatory and movie-locations.com you can find out about your favorite movies location shoots so check those out and thank you to them uh for providing all a lot of the information that we provide for you here and as I mentioned, Facebook, you can chat with us there. That's Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. We're on Twitter, NY Minute Pod. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss us. Uh, if you like us, give us a rating and a nice, happy review. And until tomorrow, when the Bat Minute guys return one more time, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm.